Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. This morning, we've looked together for some time at the Gospel according to Luke, who Jesus is and what he, how we are to respond to him. And we then brought it through the resurrection, Luke 24, this past Lord's Day. I wanted to move into a series in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. I've been wanting to do that for some time and uh, thought this was a, a good point at which to do that. So we're going to be looking for, uh, for some time at the opening chapters of the book of, of Genesis. There is much that could be said about these opening chapters, much that has been said about these opening chapters. But we don't want to think that because we've heard it before, we aren't to continue to keep it before us. For it is the very beginning which is under attack by our culture today. It is the very focal point of many of the attacks over the decades. That is, just exactly how did we get here? And why are we here? And what are we to be doing as we're here? Genesis answers those questions. Genesis sets those questions before us, and it is therefore valuable to us. Perhaps we think it's elementary. When we think of elementary matters, we think of that which is simple, but they are also elementary matters, are foundational matters. Very often we don't thank those who have given us the elementary truths. We don't thank our mothers and fathers. We'll have opportunity in coming weeks, children, Mother's Day, Father's Day, coming up to thank your parents. We don't think of what the Lord has done in giving us parents to lead us in those elementary truths. When's the last time you've thanked your kindergarten teacher, first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth grade teacher from elementary school? You think, well, what's so special about that? Well, those are foundational years. Those are the important years. Yes, we build upon that, but we need to start in the right place. We need to have a solid foundation. And Above all, we give thanks to God for as we're going to see, these elementary truths are received by faith and therefore we need to continually, continually set God's word before us and hear about these matters that our faith might be strengthened for it is exactly that which Satan wants to destroy, our faith. He wants to destroy the foundations. He wants us to forget where we've come from, whose we are, And so we want to look at these opening verses. I'm going to be skipping over those intervening verses. Well, maybe not skipping over them, but summarizing them. So if you're watching online today and you're following the Scripture as it's printed on the screen, hold on. Genesis chapter 1, starting verse 1. This is the Word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then chapter, or verse 3 talks about how God did so in six days. Day one, there was light. And day four was the filling of that realm. So we have realm and we have fulfillment. We're not going to look at that today. We'll come to that. 
But just for summary purposes, light and then luminaries. Day one, day four. Day two, we have sky, water, and then fish, fowl. Day five, the realm, the filling. Then day three, land and vegetation. Day six, animals, humans. God said, and there was. God said, and there was. God said, and He made. God saw that it was good, and God said, and it was so. And on it goes through verse 25. Then picking up verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of God. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Dear congregation, I recently went to Ligonier Conference in Florida, as I've mentioned in weeks past, and The speakers were spending time looking at foundations. The title of the conference was Upholding Christian Ethics. What is, how do we uphold right living? Used to be that when you said you were living ethically, it was synonymous with living biblically. Now today, ethics, because it's not grounded in the Word of God, means all kinds of things. How do we live? How do we, how are we to to interact with the world around us? Where do we go to find out about purpose and design and, and, and uh, our response to the world? The world constantly coming up with, with all kinds of different sources of information, mostly out of their head because that is what we are. We are those who like to create idols. And so... The point of that conference was to come back to the Word and see what, what is the origin, what is the source. And, well, surprise, surprise, guess where we went in, in the Scripture? We went to Genesis many, many times, to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. Foundations are important. Scripture says that the foundations are destroyed. What, what do we do? What can we do? Jesus said the same 
Do not build on a faulty foundation for when the storms of life come, when the great adversary comes, when, when Satan comes, what's going to happen? Those storms are going to knock you down. You can't stand against him. Not in yourself. Jesus said, build on that good foundation. And that foundation, of course, that he was talking about was the Word of God. We sing it, don't we? How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say to you than He has said? And to you, who did Jesus have fled? That firm foundation, where do we go? As we look at foundations today, we come away from the sermon perhaps. Maybe you'll come away from the sermon and say, well, I already knew all that. Good. Great. Thank your parents. Thank your teachers. And above all, thank God. Because it begins right there. In the beginning, God. And it is a matter of faith. You say to yourself, well, these elementary things, we won't forget them. It's like riding a bike, we say, right? When you ride a bike, once you've learned how to ride a bike, you never forget. But you see, these are foundational truths. These are elemental truths that are connected, though, with faith. And apart from God, we won't hold on to them. What does it say about the origins of the world in other passages of Scripture? Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. In Hebrews 11.3 we read, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Did you catch the beginning? By faith. We understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Our lives must be oriented to the Creator God who was in the beginning and before the beginning. If we're not there, if we don't start there, then we're not going to understand rightly. We're not going to draw proper conclusions as we can see in our culture today which turns more and more from the Lord. We need to hear this word and this truth. We need to remember that we are in a body of believers that are not all at the same place in their faith life either. We don't come to church just for me. What am I going to get out of this this morning? What's what's in it for me? Though I hope and pray that when the word of God is open, you always receive something from the word because you are preparing your hearts to hear God speak. But don't forget, it's also for those sitting next to you For your children who are sitting on the bus and sitting at the haircutting place, the barber, salon, whatever it is, wherever you go, seeing things, hearing things, wondering what is this all about? Asking those, beginning to ask those questions. Who am I? What, what, is, what is my purpose? How, has, how, how have I been made? These are basic questions foundational questions, and we want them to know. We want them to know how to answer those. The foundational truth for all right understanding is God. How do we know 
how the world began, where it came from. Well, we, we, we can't know on ourselves. We weren't there. But there was one who was there. And he makes it perfectly clear at the opening of his revelation to the world. In the beginning, God. The everlasting one. Continually saying that over and over. We can look at various passages, Genesis 21 and Deuteronomy 33 and Psalm 90 and, and many other passages which speak about God being the everlasting one, revealing himself that way, saying, I am who I am. I've, I've always existed. We heard it in the call to worship or the, the blessing this morning. The one who is and who was and who is to come, God, eternal, everlasting. The source of all creation. In the beginning, God. And in the beginning, God created. The earth is formless and void. Tohu vabohu for you Hebrew scholars. Empty, void, nothing. As R.C. Sproul used to like to say, he'd take out the Latin and say, ex nihilo nihil fit. Now that's, I'm giving you all kinds of languages this morning, Hebrew and Latin, out of nothing, nothing comes. Just a basic, fundamental, logical principle. If there is something, there must have been something before. What is that something? God says, I'll tell you what it is. I am. I have always been. There was something. It was God. And He created with His powerful Word. He wants that to be understood. I didn't read it this morning. I skipped some of those verses, but let me just do them rather quickly. Verse 3, and God said, and God called, and God said, verse 6, and God made, verse 7, and God said, verse 9, and it was so. God called, and God saw that it was good, verse 10. And God said, verse 11, and it was so. And God saw that it was good. And God said, verse 14, and it was so, verse 15. And God made, and God set them in the heavens. And God saw that it was good, verse 17. And God said, verse 20. So God created, verse 21. And God saw that it was good, verse 21. And God said, verse 24, and it was so. And God made, verse 25 and God saw that it was good. Then God said, verse 26, let us make man. And He created man in His own image and God blessed them and said, and God saw, and He said, and it was so, and God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. That sounds pretty repetitive. That sounds like there's a point trying to be made here. And there is. God is the one who creates, and He does so with a creative word. And God said, the divine fiat, it's been called. When He speaks, His word is causative. It, it causes. It creates. We take pre-existing things and we put it together and we, we reformulate or we, we see how things fit together and we say we call that create, but God speaks it all of reality into existence. Children, when you're 
when you're working on a puzzle and maybe you're talking with somebody who's done puzzles before, quite often they'll give you this helpful advice. Start with the edge pieces. They kind of give the boundaries. They kind of give the, 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 the focus of the picture. Well, that's what Genesis is. It's the boundary. It's, it gives us the, the foundation as we begin to ask ourselves those questions of who we are, why we're here. When we don't start with God, we start in the wrong place and develop faulty way of seeing and processing what we see. Why is that? Well, Genesis 1 doesn't talk about that because we're not there yet, right? It's pre-fall. It's talking about what God has made, but it it hasn't brought in the issue of sin, but we know about it because we've heard about Genesis 3, and we've heard about Romans 4 and 5 and 6 and 7. We've heard about these things. Here we're talking pre-fall, but we know why we don't see correctly without guidance. It's because of our fall into sin. Conceived in sin. Needing instruction. The time that Moses was inspired to write the book of Genesis, what's going on in the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel is surrounded by heathen nations. Surrounded by other gods. Surrounded by other ways of seeing things, right? The Canaanite gods had Baal. The Babylonians had Marduk. The Egyptians had Isis. There were other nations with other gods. The Mesopotamians had Ishtar. And the people certainly knew about these other gods, certainly knew about these other ways of seeing the world. In fact, they were, in many instances, we see it in the Old Testament, don't we, over and over again, they were mixing their their worship of the one true God with worship of these other gods, thinking that they're just covering all their bases. But here in the very beginning, God says, Moses, I want you to write this down. I want, you to I want the people to understand there is only one God, and this is how the world has been made. And this is what it looks like to live faithfully before him. The book of Leviticus, which we don't often turn to, speaks about what some of the nations were doing surrounding them. Leviticus 18, 19, and 20 talk about how they're, they're living in, in ways that were not uh, uh, according to God's decree, not in the way that God had designed them to live. Those are the big areas of Leviticus that we, we argue over today. Is that really still a sin? Oh, that, that's old. That's ancient. That shouldn't be something that we still talk about today. And yet it's right there. God says, no, no, this is how you're to live, and this is how you're not to live. He makes it very clear. Foundations. He says, don't live like that. And he says, don't be ignorant about what others do. Not that you go around looking for it, but you know it's around you, but you need to interact with it according to the truth. What has God said? Satan is continually trying to find a way to intimidate, imitate, and infiltrate, as one has put it. He's always trying to intimidate, to imitate, and to infiltrate wherever he can. We've got to know what God's Word says. What does he make clear? He makes clear that he alone is God. He made the world. He says about the idol gods in Isaiah 44, they're nothing. Isaiah 44, you can turn there, you can write this down, look at it today. Isaiah 44, verses 10 through 20. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame. The craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. 
They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He makes it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. Plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. All of this is dependence. All of this speaks of dependence. What he's, what he's doing here is he grows weary. He grows tired doing this. He spends a lot of investment, a lot of time to make this God just the way he wants. And guess what? It's made in his own image. It looks just like him. And, he, and, he, and, he, and then he takes it, and, he's, and half of, the half that he, he's, he's carved up nicely, he, he bows down to. The other half, he throws into the fire, and he doesn't think anything odd about that, that this is kind of silly, that one part is divine and this other part is, is just throwaway. He makes an idol out of it, falls down, and worships it. Verse 17, he prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. You deliver me, the one I've just made, with all of my effort, with all of my expertise, with all of my thinking. And then God says this, No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten I shall make the rest of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say, is there not a lie in my right hand? It's all a lie. It's a figment of my imagination. I'm, putting, I'm, I'm, I'm investing power in this thing which I have made that serves me, that follows me. It's about me. I want to worship me. And, and God says, I am. I, I don't depend on anyone or anything. The, I am. I, I made the world. The gods of our age are far more sophisticated today. Our technology creates things which, which are amazing. I mean, the, the, the technology that we have medically, the technology that we have transportation-wise, spreading information, spreading goods and supplies, healing diseases to the ends of the earth. And we think, wow. Yeah, we're, we're pretty good. We, we, we've got all that we need. And the gospel of technology says this, I can deliver you from whatever problem you have. And we give ourselves to our technology and we let it shape us and we begin to think that, well, indeed, maybe it, it can offer all that it says. But it's, there's one thing it cannot do. There's one thing that cannot be done by anything other than God, and that is to be delivered from sin and death. It's a matter of fact, and it's a matter of faith. And it's a matter that has to be reviewed because the world continually pounds against that and says, no, you don't need to believe that. You don't need to live that way. You don't need to think that way. We need God to help us know the truth, to believe it, and to live rightly in light of it. Right knowledge, Scripture says, begins with knowing and believing in God. We believe that we might understand, I believe is how Augustine put it. 
we have certain needs in our lives. We often talk about what are those needs, what drives us. I was listening to a presentation not so long ago where the speaker said we have five core needs. I'm not going to look at all five of them, but just list them. Security, who can I trust? Identity, who am I? Belonging, who wants me? Purpose, why am I alive? And then fifthly, competency, what do I do well? Well, the list reveals something about us. It reveals that we're needy. It reveals that we know that there's something that we need from outside of ourselves. Whether or not we accept that and acknowledge that, whether or not we want to go there to the full extent and say, you know what, I'm going I'm to have to depend on someone. It reveals that we are needy. We feel incomplete, and the Bible tells us why. It tells us that sin has separated us from our Creator. Sin blinds us, however, to God as the answer for our foundational needs to be somewhat redundant. We come to the beginning again. We know that it, God existed at the beginning of the world. We know that He's above creation, not dependent on it. Creation depends on Him. It's by His powerful Word that all is upheld. We know that he does whatever pleases him. Well, what pleases him? To create a world out of nothing. To give it design. To give it beauty. To give it purpose. To give it a certain, a certain uh, direction and focus. He's pleased to make the world out of nothing for his glory. And he's pleased to rescue the world out of sin's curse by his powerful word. The word who was in the beginning, that is Jesus as John puts it in John 1. We could, we could spend a lot of time in Genesis 1. It's a packed chapter if there ever was one. But I want you to understand. I want you to, I want you to understand that idea of boundaries and foundations. We have to have that straight in our heads so that when we go out and the world says, there, is no, there are no boundaries. Freedom means whatever you want to do and to be. No, it's an ordered freedom. It's a, it's a freedom free to live in, within God's commands to the fullest of our created potential. It's an ordered liberty, as the founding fathers even put it. When we get away from that, we are, we are headed for chaos. We learn about the origin of humanity. Man was made in God's image, and he explains where he placed man geographically in the garden uh, hierarchically, little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned with glory and honor, given dominion over all of his creation. That entails some things. That, in, that entails uh, uh, us to think about responsibility and relationship. There's responsibility. There's relationship. We're told that the Lord God spoke to the man and the woman, giving command, giving foundations for meaning and rich living. Verse 28, he spoke to them, commanding them what they were to do. We don't have to wonder what, what we're here for if we look in the right place. We don't have to wonder what we're here for if we submit ourselves to the Word of God. He tells us how he wants us to relate to him and how he wants us to relate to the world. And he says he will provide for us the plants 
the animals later on in Genesis. God created us to be in relationship with Him. He's not far from us, and He wants us to seek Him. That's what Paul is trying to say to the philosophers at Mars Hill. They're bantering forth, back and forth, all these ideas. What's it all about? What's it for? And, and Paul says, well, I can tell you. It's about the, about the altar that, that to the unknown God that you, you seem to, to not know about. I'm here to tell you about Him. And, 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 and what He wants for you. He wants you to seek Him. He's not far from you. Try that on the State University campus today. You'll get attacked like Paul. Well, jumping over those middle verses as I've been doing this morning, we get to that final day of day, the day six, or final creation of day six, the making of man. What does it mean to be human? Well, obviously it means gender, male and female. We'll talk more about that, but it means more than that. It's to, con- to consider the text more broadly, it means being in a relationship to the Creator. It means being made in His image and therefore to think His thoughts after Him. What's the purpose of this? What, what's the meaning? We, we, we are inescapably invest, investigators. We, we, we want to know meaning. We want to know purpose. We want to know what then is our response. Animals act instinctually. We, we are, as made in His image, we are those who say there's purpose, there's design, there's, there's something here. What is it? How am I to live? We can't not interpret what we see. We develop a philosophy, a system of understanding the world by observation, by studying those who've written down their observations from years past. Children, that's called history for those of you who don't like history. Personally, I like history. We study about what has been found in the past. What do we learn from the past? We don't all come to the same conclusions. Why is that? Well, again, Genesis 1 doesn't tell us that pre-fall, but it, we find out that it's, it's as a result of sin. We don't have that same starting point. We turn away from the Lord. And so we have our own ways of thinking. But we all have a philosophy. all have a way of, of, of looking at the world. Just an illustration of this recently. Attorney... Katanji Brown-Jackson passing the Senate confirmation to be seated upon the Supreme Court. She's asked a question, very fair question in my mind, what is your judicial philosophy? How do you you make decisions? She says, I don't have one. What? I don't have one? So you go to your doctor, what, what's your practice and what's your, what's your medical field of expertise and, and as you're about to ready to work on my heart and they say, oh, I don't have one. What? Uh, I'm going to go look for another doctor. We all have a philosophy and in this context, you, it's, it, it does a disservice to her law school uh, education because there is study in jurisprudence. There's study in law. There's a study in what has been done in the past, making of decisions. And then the student is to, to, uh, to look at that and to consider what, how does that fit according to what we've been taught in the classroom? And then how do I develop the way I interpret things? You can't simply come to it and say, well, I don't have a philosophy. Then you can't be a circuit court judge, which she is presently, I believe. 
But, but our world has gotten to that point where they're saying, well, no, you can just, you can see the world differently every day. 365 different worlds every year. What? We've, we've lost our minds. Because we've, we've, we've thrown the boundaries out. We've taken the puzzle, thrown the pieces on the floor and said, I don't need to find the edge pieces. I just, I just pick one up every day, slap it on the fridge and say, that looks good. But, but we don't have the whole picture. Who are we kidding? Ourselves. And, and it comes down to this. It's a matter of faith. There's no denying that. No one's, no one's going to deny that. The scripture says, by faith we believe this. Because we weren't there in the beginning. But we understand, as we learn about God, that he is faithful, that he can speak only truth, that he is telling us the way things are. That's just one example of how turning from God leads to turning from rationality, let alone truth, which is objective, it's, which is outside of us, which is something that we must submit to, which is necessary to be, for us to be guided by. Just one example to illustrate how important it is for us to teach our children the truth, to set before them what they need to know. Obviously, we can't make them believe, but it is our responsibility to train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they will not depart from it. The, the Bible says that's our responsibility. That's what we're called to do. Train up a child in the way that they should go, according to the truth. It, it isn't like, well, just, I don't know, whatever philosophy you've got, just, just whatever way you see things, just go at it, and, and that won't affect the world at all. It won't affect the, the it just, we're all going to have our different opinions. No. No, that doesn't work. The world isn't designed that way, you see. Margaret and those who are going to be baptized in coming days need to hear the truth. They need to be taught God's word. Because eventually, spoiler alert, Jared and Ashley... She will ask questions of you and question your authority and question, well, how do you know that? Well, why do you say that? Oh, she's not going to, says Ashley, but she will. What, where are they going to turn for authority? To the one who has given all things and declares all truth to God. She'll want to interpret just as children want to interpret. We're, again, investigators. But without proper guidance, we won't come to proper conclusions, proper understanding. Well, there's much more that could be said, but I I need to begin to bring things to a close. I said to begin to bring things to a close. We're not there yet. We're still in Genesis. We're beginning, you see. The big beginning. Well, out of those five core needs that I was mentioning uh, at the at the opening, I, I want to, if I could kind of summarize down or, or, or look at that core question, why am I here? Why do I exist? What's it all about? Well, as we, as we witness a baptism, perhaps we think, oh, how, how will this child make it in this world? 
I hear it often, oh, how are my children, my grandchildren, how are my great-grandchildren going to get through life? How's this going to go? And just want them to live good lives, be faithful, and, and, and just get to the end. We don't want to rush it, and yet we want safety. We want protection. We want it to go just according to the script. And unfortunately, in a fallen world, it doesn't work that way. Though we are still called to point in that direction. Though we are still called to pray for that understanding in ourselves and the lives of our children. There's no shortcuts to that question, why am I here? We, we learn that over a lifetime. We're called to live in this world with a solid foundation about who made the world and, and how we're in relationship to that one who's made the world. Then we're to have, and we have the foundation upon which to live that meaningful life in all of the varied ways that God uses us. said it many times, we've, we've got an embarrassment of riches in our day to help us teach and to raise our children. So many books, the presence of so many books on childbearing indicates something to us, and that is we know it's important. That's why there's so many books written on it. And, and it might be tempting to say, boy, with all those books, I hope I find the right one. I hope, I hope I read the right one, the right method of parenting, the right method of raising the, 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 the preteen, the right method of raising the teen, the right, the right method of, of teaching my college student as they go off. To, but, but we don't need to be neurotic about that. We need to simply point them to, to God's Word and call them to the principles that are set out there, the boundaries, and, and then give them examples of interacting with discerning questions that they might see how, how it, what it looks like to walk by faith. What is needed is that God would be working in the lives, in our lives and the lives of our children for His glory and by His Spirit. And in the Word of God, we have the foundations given by God that we might teach our children to commit these truths to them. God has us learning about ourselves and about Him for our entire lives. It's a lifetime of worship. But starting in the right place matters. There's no one sermon that could possibly speak to all the, all the foundational things that we need to, to know. We don't go, oh, that, that sermon right there, I go back to that one every time, or go back to that book every time. It's so good, it's so helpful. But, the, but life changes, things come along. What is most important is that we keep God's Word before us, that we remember what He has said. And He has a foundational, He's got some foundational purposes for creating you. So let me give you four of them very quickly. Very quickly. First, you're created to know Him. You're created to know Him. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. We just quickly turn to that. 7 verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. You're created to know him. Secondly, you're created to love him. You're created to love him. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You're called to love him. You're called to live with Him. You're called to live with Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 
These are just very foundational and, and, and there's much more that could be said. But 1 Thessalonians 5.10 God, verse, starting in verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be redeemed, brought back, and then this, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. We might live with Him. And then fourthly and finally, to glorify Him. You're created to glorify Him. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Starting in verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify. Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, teach with all faithfulness, with all love, with all prayer, all diligence, praying that God would help you show others Him. Whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your child, whether it's your your spouse, whether it's your coworker, whether it's your grandchild, great-grandchild, whatever it is. Start with the basics. Children's first catechism. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. Start right there. There's no shortcuts. It begins at the beginning in that right place. We cannot leap to the end of life, nor can we understand the, uh, can we ignore the foundational truths. We must walk in the Lord and in the light of His Word. Start here. Start at the beginning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for these foundational words that we will be studying over the weeks ahead in a culture that has spurned them. We are pilgrims in a barren land. There is a famine famine for the hearing of the word of the Lord, a famine for the following of your word, a famine for the worship of you. It is not easy, but it is right. So Lord, grant us that solid faith, that firm conviction, that from the youngest to the oldest, we might set example of just how meaningful life is when lived in right relationship with you, which is where it all starts. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.